pledge allegiance to the Lamb. Praise the Lord. That's a great song. We're going to dismiss the young people to junior church, and they can go at this time with Scarbellos. The rest of us will take our Bibles today and turn to 1 Samuel chapter number 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse number 9. I missed one of the visitors today. We have Lexi here with us today. We are so glad that you're here, Lexi. So let's give her a big hand. Glad to have her here today. And um, praise the Lord for Lexi being with us. And good to have Miley here, too. Wonderful. 1 Samuel, chapter number 1, the very first book of Samuel. 1 Samuel, chapter 1. It's, 1 Samuel is the ending of the, uh, ending of the judges. Samuel was the last of the judges, and uh, they're going to be getting, uh, beginning, getting a king here shortly. And so, uh, but 1 Samuel talks about uh, this man Samuel and his uh, birth and what, how God used him. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Let's all stand as we read God's word. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse number 9. It says, So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk. Now Eli, the priest, sat upon a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore. And she vowed a vow, and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child. Then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass that as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she prayed in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, how long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful heart. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up in the, early, uh, in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah and El uh, Elkanah, knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass that when the time was come about that after Hannah had conceived, that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up. For she said unto her husband, If I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then will I bring him, and that he may appear before the Lord, and there abide forever. And Elkanah her husband said unto her, Do what seemeth thee good, Tarry until thou hast weaned him, only the Lord establish his word. So the woman abode and gave her son suck until she, was, uh, she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her and her three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him into the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as the, my soul liveth, my Lord, I am 
the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord as long as he liveth. He shall be lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Let's pray. Father, today I thank you for thy word. I thank you for godly mothers. I thank you for those that are willing to trust you and believe by faith and put their confidence in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and, Lord, that they have a desire to walk with you. Lord, today I pray that this message would be an encouragement to these ladies that are here. And, Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts and help each of us, Lord, to, to walk closer to you. I pray for these mothers. I know that they carry many times great burdens and great weights upon their shoulders. And, Lord, I pray today that you would give them your strength, give them your mercy, and, Lord, if there's one without Jesus, that today they might be saved. We'll give you all the praise, the honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. You know, there are a lot of different myths that people come up with about different things. Uh, and some of the myths that we want to consider this morning is myths about motherhood. Myths about motherhood. Someone has said that a child is carried in its mother's womb for nine months. Somebody does not know that a child is carried in its mother's heart forever. Someone said it's, it takes six weeks to get back to normal after you've had a baby. Somebody doesn't know that once you're a mother, normal is history. Someone has said you learn to be a mother by instinct. Someone never took a three-year-old shopping. Boy. Someone said, being a mother is boring. Someone never rode in a car driven by a teenager with a driver's permit. I'm telling you, that is the truth. I remember going down by Lancaster, and we were on this road with a whole bunch of bumps and humps, and, and uh, my son, Chad, said he was driving, and I was sitting in the back, and it was dark, and we could see down in the distance there was a big rig coming, and there was a car that was in front of us, and my son decided to pass at night. And I could tell the big rig was coming. And so he goes over in that, that lane. There's only two lanes. He went over into the lane to pass, and he's going real slow. And I'm looking, and I'm saying, here's a big rig coming right at me. And I said, floor it, floor it. <laughs> and he goes around, and he gets around it, and he says, I had it all under control. I mean, it was just inches, and that truck was right past us. Whew, wow, praise the Lord. <laughs> Whew, that's amazing. Woo. Um, someone said, good mothers never raise their voices. Somebody never came out the back door just in time to see her child hit a golf ball through the neighbor's kitchen, throw a golf ball through the neighbor's kitchen window. Somebody said, you don't need to, an education to be a mother, but somebody has never helped a fourth grader with his math. Someone, somebody has said that you can't love the fifth child as much as you love the first. Somebody doesn't have five children. Somebody said a mother can find all the answers to her child-rearing questions in the books. Somebody never had a child stuff beans up their nose. 
Somebody said the hardest part of being a mother is labor and delivery. Somebody never watched her baby get on the bus for the first day of kindergarten. Somebody said a mother can stop worrying after a child gets married. Somebody doesn't know that, um, that marriage adds a new son or a daughter-in-law uh, to mother's heartstrings. Somebody said a mother's job is done when her last child leaves home. Somebody never had grandchildren. Somebody said that your mother knows you, you love her, so you don't need to tell her. Somebody isn't a mother. You know, being a mother is a tremendous blessing from God. But it also carries an awesome responsibility. Mothers can either encourage those in the home to follow the Lord, or she can encourage the, those in the home to follow the world. They can bring a little bit of heaven on earth to their home, or they can make their home such a place of sorrow that those in the home can't wait to leave it. Mothers help to shape the next generation. We're reaping in America today what mothers have sown in the past. Some women have made their career their goal rather than rearing a godly seed for Christ. Having a career is not a problem, but having a wrong priority is. May I share with you when you deal with priorities that God is first. He's to be first. Your mate is to be second. Your children to be third. Your church to be fourth and your job fifth. You get those things out of whack and it all falls apart. Others have looked up, uh, upon being a mother as an inconvenience rather than a great opportunity to share their, their Christian values with their children. Can I tell you, nobody will, tell, will teach your children what is right and wrong like you will. I think of some quotes of different individuals about mothers. Theodore Roosevelt said, Praying mothers are America's greatest asset. Praying mothers are America's greatest asset. Abraham Lincoln said, no one is poor who had a godly mother. Charles Wesley, who was in, he and John Wesley started the Methodist movement, said, I have learned more about God from my mother than all the theologians in England. One day, G, uh, Dr. G. Campbell Morgan, an old-time preacher, he had four sons, and they were all preachers. And uh, they were all had come to the home, and somebody wanted to, to test their son, the, how, their son, the son Howard. And, and so he said, uh, who is the greatest preacher in your family? Well, Howard had an admiration for his dad, um, but he looked straight across him to his mother and he, and without hesitation, said, Mother was the greatest preacher. You know, mothers, you spend more time with your children than, your dad, than the dads do. More of what you believe and what you think is taught and caught by your children. Today we're having a special day considering mothers, and we're going to consider today in God's Word the, the idea of a mother's love. We need mothers today that are not ashamed to be identified as followers of Christ. 
We need mothers today who are willing to live by the principles of God's word and are not negligent to teach them to their children. So often what happens, well, I'm going to live for God, but what about your children? And if you're a grandma here today, may I share with you, what about your grandchildren? What do they know about you? What do they know about your God? We need mothers who love their children enough not to give them everything they want, but everything that they need to love the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, Amen. and to love this book. Today, as we consider this idea of a mother's love, I want you to see three simple points. First of all, a mother, uh, you notice here in this portion, a woman's deep desire to have a child. A woman's deep desire to have a child. In verse number nine, it says this. It says, so Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli, the priest, sat upon a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of her soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she uh, vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. Hannah was a woman who had a great desire in her life, that of being a mother. You know, I think that quite often, I think that God, I think, I believe God puts that desire in the heart's of mothers. You know, those, those little tiny children, when they get up, they, get, they want one of those little babies that they can take care of and they can put in those strollers and they can go around. And, and it's in the heart of women to have a child. You know, as Hannah was looking at this situation, others had known the joy of having a child, but the Lord had withheld her from that blessing. May I share with you today as we consider some things, I think it's important for us to understand that having children lies in the hands of God. It is God who opens and closes the womb. Look with me, if you would, Genesis chapter 25, verse 21. Genesis chapter 25 and verse 21. And perhaps you have not been able to have children. Hey, that does not mean that the Lord doesn't love you. No, he's got another uh, job for you to do. He's got another responsibility. He's got a plan for all of us, and we have to understand and accept God's working in the course of everything. In Genesis chapter number, uh, Genesis chapter number 25, verse number 21, look what it says. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. She had no children. And the Lord was entreated... Of him, he, In other words, the Lord answered, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? Yeah, she had twins. She had Jacob and Esau, and they were wrestling inside. I tell you what, if, you're, if your mama has had, a, had that baby inside sometimes, man, you see that foot going out here, and they're, going, and, and they're doing all this, they're using you like a punching bag on the inside. You get two of those in there. You know, they are wrestling. They are going through this time. But may I share with you the important point of this is simple. It is the Lord that allowed her to have children. It was God who was in control of this issue. Look at Genesis chapter 29, verse 31. 
Genesis chapter 29 and verse 31. We're talking here about Jacob. Jacob had a couple of wives, Leah and Rachel. It says, And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. It's the Lord who opened Leah's womb and caused Rachel to be barren. You go over to chapter number 30 and look at verse number 1. And, and when Rachel saw that she bore, she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. Can you imagine? Come up to Dawn. Dawn, you know what? You need to give me a child. Can you imagine that? Your wife just grabbing you. Well, why? You know, how am I supposed to do this? This is... And look what he says. I don't, blame the, I don't blame Jacob. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in God's stead who hath withheld from thee the fruit of, the, of, of thy womb? See, it is God who allows women to have children. We, look, we are in a day in which man is trying to take God's place. These issues that we are seeing today, uh, about uh, life and death and the womb. Can I tell you something? Life begins at the point of conception, the Bible teaches. And as Christians, we believe that we ought to do all to help and sustain life, not to take it. See, Pastor, that's not really a, that's not really a, a position that a lot of people like. We need to get back to the Bible. Amen. The sanctity of life. Is, is, I heard a gentleman say the other day, as I was sharing in Sunday school, he said, well, I just think that that's a personal decision and people ought to be able to make that themselves. Let me tell you something, because people's ideas and thoughts change. Before man was ever created, God established his word in heaven. Amen. And this book is the truth. Thy word is truth. And people say, well, I don't, I don't like what the Bible says. Your problem is not with man. Your problem is with God. Because he's established. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Look at Psalm 113, the middle of your Bible. Psalm 113, verse number 5. Psalm 113, middle of your Bible. I want you to see here as the psalmist is writing about God and his ability of giving children. Psalm 113, verse number 5. Psalm 113 says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord our God, who dwelleth on high, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth? Notice, He raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. He maketh the barren woman, notice, to keep house, and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. It is God who gives children to parents. It is God. Children are a special blessing of the Lord. The Bible says in Psalm 127, 3, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Having children is a blessing. God's blessed you. I've heard women say so often, well, you know what? Those kids are always nagging me. They're always doing this, and they're always getting in trouble. Instead of looking at it from God's perspective, God says, I just want you to understand something. I blessed you. 
You have been blessed with having those children. I tell you, as a mom, you, in dealing with your children, you ought to praise the Lord for your children. God's giving you an opportunity to be able to share with them about how great He is. Nobody can teach you or teach your children like you can. And the, the, Bible, uh, the Bible tells us with Hannah that Hannah went to the Lord about her burden. She was burdened about the fact that she couldn't have a child. And she cried and she wept. And, and if you know the story, that uh, Elkanah had a, another wife. And you say, well, pastor, see, some of these people, uh, they, they have a couple of wives. I, and I had a guy call me up one day and he said, well, Pastor Walker, I want to ask you a question. I said, sure. sure. He says, what do you think about a uh, man having more than one wife? I said, man, he's a fool. I do well just trying to keep this one, trying to figure her out. She is a blessing, but she changes. I mean, I, I think I got her candy bar down, you know, the one she likes, and she changed, and I don't want that one. And I said, okay, so we'll try something different. You know what? It's a blessing. But this guy was saying, well, Pastor Walker, I don't, you know, remember David, he had more than one wife. And I said, yes, and I said, if you look at David and all of his wives, all it did was create problems for David. Solomon, all he had was problems in his life. And uh, so he, he said, well, you know what? You Baptists are all the same. He said, I called another Baptist church, and that pastor said the same thing. I, could, I couldn't have another wife. I said, you're right. If you've if you got a Baptist church that's worth anything, he's going to tell you the truth. See, people are they're just looking for churches to tell them what they want to hear. And then they'll go to that church because that's what I want to hear. Hey, what we, don't, what we need is not to hear what we want to hear, but what we need to hear is the truth. Amen. Because the truth will make us free. It will give us deliverance. It will give us peace and joy. If we will just go back to the word of God, here, as Hannah is, is uh, dealing with this burden upon her heart, and Elkanah had one wife that, that, remember, God opened her womb and she could have children, but Hannah, she was not at this particular point. And so this one, she had children, and she was mocking this person over here, Hannah, and saying, you know what, look at me, I'm, I'm so much better. Uh, he loves me more because I can have children. And she is coming to the Lord with her burden. Folks, you know what, so many people go to everybody else with their burden rather going then rather than going to the Lord is where we need to take our burdens. Have you ever been weighed down with a problem? Ladies, have you ever had that? Have you ever had a need that's so great that you don't know if you're going to make it through? Have you ever had a desire for the Lord to do something that it controlled your ever thought? Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Paul talking about his desire, his burden. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He prayed for his people that they would be saved. That they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. That they'd realize that they're a sinner and they can't save themselves and that they... God loved them so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to die for them on a cross to pay the penalty for their sin that they might be with him one day. Hannah, it says that she prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. You know, Hannah was being very righteous and biblical here. 
The Bible says, Psalm 55, 22, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. You have a burden like that? You have a problem that seems great in your life? You need to cast your burdens on the Lord. You say, well, pastor, I'm going to cast my burdens on the government. Well, good luck with that one. Can I tell you something? The government is not the answer to the problems of America. It's God's people getting back to the principles of God's word and putting God first and revival happening in America. That is the answer to America. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Do you know that there is a God who cares for you? You say, well, pastor, I don't even know who God is. Can I tell you something? There is a God who still cares about you. You're still his creation. He still loves you. He wants the very best for you. He, the Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He knows the thoughts that he has toward you, thoughts of peace. God loves people. He's not somebody who sits up in, the, in a rocking chair up in heaven and says, well, I'm going to beat this person. I'm going to... No, no, no. He wants you to walk with him in righteousness so he can pour out his blessings upon you. When you have a need or a burden, where do you go? Do you go to the government? Do you go to your unsaved friends? Do you go to your Christian friends or do you go to the Lord? Quite often, he's the last resort. Can I tell you today, he ought to be our first resort. He ought to be the one that we go to. He ought to be the one that we're to, we're to pray to him without ceasing. We're to be talking to him throughout the day. We're to be bringing our burdens, our needs to the Lord on a daily basis. How much have you prayed about the various things of your life? Have you prayed about all the things of this day? Or did you just sit down at the, maybe, at the, maybe at the breakfast table? Some people are just, they're so busy now we don't even pray. Because, you know, we've got, we got our business to go on to. May I share with you? We'll say uh, good, mood, good food, good meat, good Lord, let's eat. Uh, that's not a prayer. That's not a thanking God for what he's done for you. Where are you in your prayer life today? Is it any wonder why churches today have no power? Because we have no prayer. To pray for any length of time, people say, well, it just takes too long. Pastor, that's kind of boring. If you're in the throne room of the one you love, it's not boring. Amen. If you're in the, in the presence of the one that means so much to you, you don't care how long it takes. Hannah knew that the only one who could help her was the Lord. Hannah even made a promise to the Lord. She was so desperate. Have you ever come to that place when you're so desperate? Man, I'm good. I, I want to get this. I, wanna, I want this to be a reality. I think of Sarah and Abraham. Sarah wanted a child, and God had withheld her from having a child. God had told her, he says, you're going to have a child. Blessings are going to come through that child. And, and, and she just got impatient, and she said, you know what, Abraham? Uh, you know what? Let me just tell you something. I've got a handmaid, Hagar, and, and, and you just, uh, she, she can be my surrogate. She can have a child, and, and I'll, I'll, that'll be my son. Abraham says, well, whatever. So he had the child. His name was Ishmael. It's the place from where the Arabs come today. Ishmael grew up, and then God came and told them, hey, you know what, next year, at this time, Sarah, you're going to have a child. His name's going to be called Isaac. 
Lord, how can I have a child? I'm old. I'm 90 years old. You know, some of you are a little right around that age, you know. Can you imagine having a child at 90 years? Not me. I'm telling you. You have a lot more patience when you're young than when you're older. And, he, and the Lord came and told her, you're going to have a child next year. At 90, she was going to have a child. And she started laughing. She said, oh, Abraham, he's 100. That old man, he's going to have, yeah. That, old, that was the impossible thing. God can do the impossible. Amen. Guess what happened? Next year, guess what happened? At the time of life, here comes the child. She was all, accept, all ex excited and happy. And as they were going out one day, here's Ishmael. And he's a teenager, and he's looking at this, this little baby, and he starts mocking at that little baby. Sarah gets all bent out of shape. And she says, Abraham, Ishmael, you've got to get rid of him and get rid of Hagar. He's not going to have part with my son over here. Boy, he said, man, that's, that's cruel. You know, people can be cruel, can't they? But you know what? Sarah's the one who encouraged that wrong decision. She encouraged that heart. And down through the generations, there has been war and fighting. I tell you, the problem over in Israel is fighting the brothers and sisters and relatives against each other. You say, oh, pastor, in our home, as brothers and sisters, we never fight. Now, let's be honest. <laughs> Was that true in your home? Hmm, no. Wasn't true in my home. I mean, sometimes we could have some really knock-down drag-outs. And uh, I didn't always win. But the, but the reality was, I was smaller. smaller. Uh, but, uh, you know, here, Hannah is so desperate. She comes to the Lord in verse number 11. It says, and she vowed a vow unto the, and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on my affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. She was promising to give her son back to the Lord. She was willing to turn over the rights of this boy if the Lord would give her a son. You know, there are many folk who have promised God God, if only you will do this for me, then I will do this for you. And when God does what, he, what they ask him to do, then they renege on the promise. Some people say, Lord, if you give me this job, I'll start tithing. And they get the new job, and all of a sudden, guess what happens? They don't tithe. Lord, if you save me from this horrible situation, then I'll serve you the rest of my life. So the Lord helps them out of that horrible situation. And guess what? They forget to give their life to the Lord. Lord, if you give me good grades on my test, then I'll study more the next time. They get a good grade on the test, and guess what happens? Well, I didn't really need to study that much anyway. Say, what you promised the Lord, may I share with you? You need to be careful to fulfill what you've promised to God. You say, well, why, Pastor? What's going to happen to me? I'm glad you asked. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter number 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Middle of your Bible, Psalms, and you have to the right, you have Proverbs, and then right after that is the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse number 4. It says, And when thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he, talking of God, hath no pleasure in fools. You know what? When you promise God something and you don't do it, you're a fool. Now, Pastor Walker's not calling you a fool because I don't know what you promised God. But if you look back in your life and you say, well, you know what? I promised God this, and I promised God I would do this, and I promised God this. And God says, okay, let me just tell you, when you promised that and you did not do it, you were a foolish person. He says, God hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Notice, suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. When you promise God and you don't do it, it's sin. We are in a day when moms and dads and, and grandmas and grandpas and, and all sorts of folk make promises, but we break the promises. And we say, well, I just really didn't mean that. I think we ought to be like how we deal with God. We ought to be careful about the promises we put forth. Because promises are made to be kept. Now we have, we used to be your handshake was your promise your vow that you would fulfill whatever it was. Handshake means nothing anymore. Now we have to have it in, in triplicate or quadruplicate because that person may not stand behind their word. Folks, we need to get back to the old principles of our, our word being our bond and standing to the truth. We need to have character in America. We need to get back to biblical principles. These, this is what the Bible is teaching, and it's founded upon our God. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? I wonder how many things we've done, fallen apart, that if we would look back at our life and, and we say, you know what, God, did I promise you something and I didn't do it? And now I'm having the consequences of that? I submit to you that we have a God who looks at promises. Promises, can I share with you this? When people come and they come together and they say, well, you know what? I want to be a husband and wife. And they come and they make a marriage vow. It's not just before a preacher. May I share with you? It's before God. I will love, honor, cherish till death us do part. And today we are in a situation where 60% of people go and they have a divorce right after they get married. And they say, well, you know what? I just got that in my mind that if things don't work out, then I'm just going to get a divorce and I'm just going to be done with it all. Can I tell you something? God in heaven is not pleased with that. I don't care what people say. God says, I'll destroy the works of your hands. It's a serious thing to make a promise and then don't fulfill it. What have you promised the Lord? When the Lord did as you requested, did you fulfill your promise? Or did you say, well, we're just going to move on with life? Well, you may just move on with life, but may I share with you, there's a God who has perfect recall. For some of us today, we need to get back to those promises that we made to God. 
Some of us, we made promises when we were a little young person or somebody in, in high school or somebody, and you said, you know what, God, you can have my life and do with it whatever you want to. And we've been living all these years in our, on our own, doing our own thing. God's still waiting for you to get back to the promise. You say, well, pastor, I can't go back. No, but you can confess your sin. If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you. And then from that point forward, turn over your life to God and let God be in control. I don't know where you are in your promises, but I'm here today. I'm just here as a one, a watchman on the wall trying to help you to understand that God is very serious about these things, about making promises to him. Have you broken some promises to him? If you have, you need to get it right with him. I don't want you to have God's wrath or his, his, his as he talks about here in his portion, uh, God judging you because of, of walking uh, disobediently to God. Folks, you ought, to want, you ought to want to walk with God, have his hand in your hand and helping you along the way. I, isn't that what you want? In his presence is fullness of joy. Notice the second thing very quickly. We see the desire of a, a woman to have a child, but notice we, need, we notice in verse number 12 that there's a dedication of the child to the Lord. Remember, she prayed, and in this portion we read about the fact that uh, Eli said, hey, you know what, you saw her talking, and, and she was praying to the Lord, and you know, she was... And she was, her lips were moving, but her, she, nothing was coming out. Today, you know, it used to be a time when you'd see people doing that, you know, riding in a car and they were doing this type of stuff and they were talking and all. You say, man, there's something wrong with that person. Now, today, that's kind of normal, isn't it? There's nobody sitting in the car and that. And there you got one of those little earpieces in and they're listening, they're talking to somebody on the cell phone. So that's normal today. So, but, the, but Eli thought she was drunk. And she said, man, let me just tell you something. Notice what she says. Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunken neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Hey, can I tell you something? Drinking and drunkenness is tied not with the good things of God. It's tied in the opposite. Even here, Eli said, what are you, a drunken person? Folks, can I tell you something? I was, I was driving through our town today. It bothers me. We've got bars all over the place. We've got casinos all over the place. We've got wickedness and sin all over the place. And it's like, well, you know what? If business goes down, let's put a casino in there to, to rip off people's money. And we think nothing of it. Homes are broken and houses are, are falling apart and people have nothing uh, with which to, to, to invest their life in. They go down to a place like that and the devil robs them of the true joy that they can get from knowing Jesus. How sad. Eli looked at her and said, boy, you know what? That's, you're going in the wrong direction. She said, I'm not one of those people. In fact, notice what she goes on to say. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial. That word Belial means worthless. It's one who was re referencing Satan. She said, I'm not a daughter of Satan. I'm not going that direction. Her testimony meant something to her. Let me ask you, moms, does your testimony mean something to you? What is your, you say, Pastor, we talk about testimony. A testimony is simply your character out before a lost world. When people think of you, what do they think about you? 
Do they think about you as a raving maniac? A person who can't control their anger and you're just flying off the handle with everything and you're cursing and you're doing all sorts of stuff and as, as you was talking about here, you're drinking all over the place and you're using drugs. And Can I tell you something? That is your character. Hannah was concerned about her character, her, rev, her character uh, before the, a lost world and before even for, before Christians. Believers. Do you care about your testimony? Because, see, your testimony talks about your relationship to your God. How you walk and how you live talks to others and tells others where you are with God. So, well, Pastor, we're like this with God. Well, let me just tell you, when you're sitting there with your cigarette hanging out your mouth, like this with God. Can I tell you something? God says your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which you have, which is in you, which you're, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. How can you be like this when you're disobeying the God that you say you love? Well, pastor, I got my rock music on, and it's, it, you know, it just gets, it gets me in the right spirit. How can you have the right, how can you have that music, which is condoning uh, immorality and living with other people and drugs and drinking and all that type of stuff, and you're saying you're walking with God. You're not walking with God. You're walking with the God of this world. And the Bible says friendship of the world is enmity with God. You have a hatred for God. And you know what? You say, well, my testimony, nobody knows my testimony. More people know your testimony than you know. And who knows your testimony the best? Your children. Sometimes we think when we come home, we just drop down this Christian facade and then the real us comes out and the horns come out. Can I tell you something? You ought to be more Christian at home than you are out in the public world. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Hey, one of the greatest testing places is in your home. I'm telling you, folks, I'm not always perfect. You ask my daughter, my wife. No, no, don't, don't ask my daughter, my wife. <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm just like you. I have challenges in those areas, and you know, there are times I have to humble myself and get those things right. But folks, can I tell you something? We need to have that demonstration in our homes and in our community. Our testimony is on the line. For Hannah is important. Her testimony is important. Does it matter to you the impact of your testimony is leaving upon others for Christ? Do people, when they think about you, they want your Jesus because of the way you live and talk? Or do they say, if that's a Christian, I don't want to have anything to do with it? Well, I've had that told to me when I've gone out knocking on doors. And they'd say, hey, you know what? I'd like to invite you to the Galilee Baptist Church. And, and people would uh, say, we, you know, we sure love to have you come. Will the so-and-so go to your church? I said, yeah. Well, if that person goes to your church, then I'll tell you what. I've seen how they are in the business world. I've seen how they are with dealing with their family. I don't want to have anything to do with that. 
Folks, can I tell you something? You marred the name of Christ. It's not just Galilee Baptist Church. It's the name of Christ. When they think of you, they ought to see Christ. When they look at me, they ought to think of Christ. I was listening to a, a um, message by David, Dr. David Gibbs, Jr. I tell you what, if you can listen to him on YouTube or some of those his messages, I guarantee you it'll challenge you. It'll challenge you. It'll help you. But he was talking about on that particular one. He was talking about, uh, uh, and Dr. David Gibbs is an attorney, and he was defending my home pastor, Pastor Royal Blue, they, in California, in Sacramento. Years ago, I remember this because I was a young person, the thing about having a Christian preschool. They were wanting to license Christian preschools and for the state to tell you what you could teach your kids in the preschool. In a Christian church. In fact, they didn't even want them to be able to do that. There are laws already in the books in California which say if you have anything over two hours of instruction, that the state has the right to come in and to tell you what you can do and what you need to teach. It's already on the books. Do you realize what that says? And my pastor, Pastor Royal Blue, he was there in trying to defend the right of having Christian preschools. And David Gibbs was there, and one of the people from the other side was talking about my pastor. Pastor Blue, was, he wasn't a very big guy, kind of short guy. But he had a wonderful spirit. He was just, he's a great guy. And uh, the people from the other side came over and said, you know what, we're, we're opposing you, and we would just like to hate this guy, but we can't. He's just so likable. Because when you were around Pastor Blue, the love of Christ came through. He just, he loved you, just like Christ would love you. It wasn't a put-on, it wasn't a facade. Folks, may I share with you, that's what people ought to think about you. Do they see Christ in you, or do they see you? And they, sometimes when they see you, they shouldn't see you. Eli blessed her, blessed Hannah, and said, may God give her the request, and God does answer her prayer. You know, the Bible says, Psalm 34, 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The cry of the righteous. You know, see, we think if we just walk wickedly that God's going to listen to whatever I say, and he's going to answer with, no, no, no. That's not how it works. 1 Peter 3, 12, he says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Folks, do you want your prayers to be answered? Then you need to be living righteously. You need to surrender your life to God and his control and let him live his life through you. We're crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live, yet not we, but Christ liveth in us. And the life which we now live by the flesh, we live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself for us. Does God hear your prayers? Do you live a life that's pleasing to the Lord? Hannah was given a son. Look at verse number 19 very quickly. And they rose up in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Isn't that wonderful? The Lord remembered her. In the midst of all your problems, 
and you go through those struggles, and everybody does, it's always nice to hear those little words, and the Lord remembered her. I think of Noah, who's in the ark for a year, and the Lord remembered him. I'm glad the Lord doesn't forget us. Some of us, we forget, don't we? We do. We forget. But the Lord doesn't. Wherefore, it came to pass that when the time was come after that Hannah had conceived, and she bare her son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. God heard her prayer. How wonderful it is to have a God who hears. But you know, Hannah, God answered the prayer. Praise the Lord. Let's move on. I can live my life and do whatever because now God answered my prayer and we'll just raise my, that's on the way that we want. No. Hannah realized the importance of keeping her promise before God. Look at verse 21. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to the offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned and then will I bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, Do what seemeth thee good, tarry until thou hast weaned him. Notice, only the Lord establishes word. Hey, you keep your promise to God. So the woman abode, gave her son suck until she had weaned him, and when she had weaned him, she took him up with her and the three bullocks and the one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young, and they slew a bullock, and they brought the child to Eli, and she said, O oh my Lord, notice a small L, dealing with a, a master, not talking about God. As thy soul liveth, my Lord, I answered the woman, uh, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and for the, the Lord hath given me my petition, which I have asked. Therefore also I have lent him unto the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. She's taking her child and taking him to Eli, to the house of God. She's giving him to the Lord. You know, to me, that's kind of an interesting situation because Eli had some sons that were not very good. They were evil. To trust it in this person. But you know what? She had a promise that she made to God. And you know, our God is able to protect. Eli or Samuel rose up as a great prophet of God. In the midst of a house with Eli's sons that God eventually destroyed. Folks, some of us who say, you know what, our homes, home life situation is horrible. But I'm here today to tell you there is a God who can still work today like that. He can raise up a godly seed. He can raise up in the midst of a, a difficult situation. He can raise up people who love God with all their heart. We need that today. We need to see that. And maybe you're in that type of situation. You see a grandma, or, or you're a grandma, and you see your children, or, or you're seeing your grandchildren going through those difficult times. I'm here today to tell you, there is a God we can turn to who can do great and mighty things if we know not. May I share with you one final thing? And we find a decision which paid dividends. Here she comes, and she presents... This young boy, Samuel, to Eli, and he's there and he worships the Lord. He said, You're, he's on, lent, on loan to the Lord. Can I tell you something as a parent? Your children are only on loan to you from God. 
Boy, when we were going through those days, those twos and those three-year-olds, boy, I mean, sometimes those days seemed awfully long. Long days. But as they kept growing, as they kept moving on, those, those days, those times just seemed to get shorter and shorter and shorter. And so all of a sudden now, you get up there and they're teenagers, and now, boom, they're gone, they're gone out of the house. So, man, where'd the time go? We had a lady that was in our church, and she, she was a, a very godly lady, gave some great counsel to my wife. And, and uh, you know, one of the things that she said, that it was Mrs. Shively, right, that said, you know, you ought to train your children to be prepared to serve the Lord when they get out of the house, to teach them the principles so that when they walk out that door, when they're whatever that is, 18, 19, to live for God, they have those principles in their heart. That's how they live their life. And not to look at each of these different periods and say, oh, those terrible twos. Well, you know, those were challenging times. You know what? Those teenagers were just as cha challenging. You know, some of those different times. But I'll tell you what, I wouldn't trade it for anything. God can help you to have his grace and his love through all of those times. Because we realize our children are only on loan to us for a short period of time. God loves your children much more than you do. Grandparents, can I tell you something? God loves your grandchildren more than you do. And we need to treat them with love and respect and teach them the important things. And here, Hannah, she gave her son to the Lord. But notice very quickly on chapter 2, verse 18. It says, but Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child. Hey, children, you can minister to the Lord. Donovan, Jacob, you can minister. That word minister is to serve the Lord. Well, I don't know. When I get to be an adult, no, 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 no. Samuel started as a young person to live for God. He heard God speak to him. Eli's sons didn't hear that. Because they were off in the world, but Samuel did. And folks, can I tell you something? Young people can hear God speak. And young people are more, many times more in tune with what God has to say than the adults are. They want to do something for God. They, they want to live for Jesus. They want to see their friends get saved. Sometimes when adults say, well, you know what? Somebody should do that. Yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, what, whatever. It's like trying to do CPR on somebody who's passed out. Young people got life. We can use it for God. Here's Samuel. He's ministering unto the Lord. Girded with the linen ephod. Moreover, his mother made him a little coat and brought to him from year to year when she came up with her husband to, to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife and said, notice, the Lord give thee seed of this woman for the loan which is lent to the Lord. And they went unto their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters. And the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Boy, talk about some dividends. Boy, she had all sorts of children. Folks, can I tell you something? Hannah was blessed. God answered her, her prayer. God gave her more children because she was willing to put the Lord first in her life. Your mother, let me ask you, do you 
Do your children know the Lord as their Savior? Well, you know what? Somebody should tell them. I'm, I'm taking them to church. That's their responsibility. No, it's not. It's your responsibility. You have a responsibility to teach your children about what it is to be saved. If you're saved, you know Christ is your Savior. It's your responsibility to teach your children about salvation. There's no greater joy than to lead one of your children to Christ. No greater joy. And a lot of people that are missing out because you know what? We're lazy. It's too hard. No, it's not. You can take a track like that in the back and read that to your children and explain it, and they can ask Jesus to be their Savior. You can. It's not that hard. You might be giving them all that the world has to offer, a good education and good experiences of life and sports and hunting. I hear parents, oh, I'm giving, they're hunting and they're, they've got, they've got to, they're, they're busy uh, uh, doing ballet and they're doing this and they're doing that and they're, they're doing all the things of the world. You're giving them food, clothing, and shelter, but if you fail to share with them the gospel, you've missed the most important decision that they could ever make. Jesus put it this way in Mark 8, 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own, lose his own soul? There's nothing more important than the salvation of your children and your grandchildren. Nothing. Nothing. Have you turned over the rights of your children to the Lord to allow him to do with your child as he pleases? A missions director once met with a mother of one of the agency's missionaries and spent some time just getting to know her. And she had prepared tea and the director came in and sat down in the parlor and they began, she began to explain to him her difficulty about having a daughter on the mission field in China and her son was a missionary in Sudan. She loved and missed them both dearly and as she explained her love for God to allow, her, uh, to allow them to follow his will for their lives. And she began to share about her son and, and his burden for those people in, in the, the Sudan and how that, that he just was broken over the lost souls of these people and tears began to stream down her face. And the mission director, he began to have a greater appreciation for this woman and for her children. A few months later, the missions director got word that the missionary, a missionary in the Sudan had been killed. It was this Scottish lady's son. He felt like, you know, I should go and talk to her about that and see if I can be a help and encouragement to her and break the news to her. So once again, he went to her home. And after telling her the tragic news, the mother looked down. And a few moments after she gained her composure, she said, Sir, I would rather have my son die in the middle of the Sudan alone than to have him living here with me, disobeying God's will. Folks, does it matter to you about following God's will? Oh, you know, I don't want to put my children on the mission field. I don't want my children to go so far away from me. I want to be able to see them, even though God's called them to be a missionary and be out of God's will. Folks, the place of blessing is in to be in God's will. How about you today? 
Are you in God's will today for your life? Are you where God wants you to be in your life? Or has God been sharing with you some things that need to get right today? Maybe there's some things today, there's some sin in your life, there's some things, maybe some how you're treating your children or different things like that. You haven't been the example, moms, that you should be. You're turning it over to the, the government. You're letting the schools teach your children what's right and wrong. No, that's not your responsibility uh, to give it to them. It's your responsibility to teach them what is right and what is wrong. God's given you that responsibility in his word. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Folks, today, we're giving up our rights. We need to get back to give up our rights to God and let him do with our life whatever he chooses to do. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come before you this day, and Lord, I thank you for Hannah. Lord, she had a burden, she had a desire, and she went to you, the one who could answer her, her needs and her problems. And Lord, I pray today that we would be like Hannah, Lord, there are, are maybe folk here today that are going through some great struggles and trials in their life. And Lord, they need some help. God, I pray that they would turn to you, they would cry out to you. Lord, even as this one did in such a desperate time in her thinking, Lord, she needed you to do something. God, I pray that you would be merciful today. If you're here today, you say, Pastor, I'm like that. I'm like Hannah today. God needs to do something in my behalf. There's something that's great. There's a burden on my heart. Please pray for me. Is there anyone like that this morning? You say, there's a great burden I've got. Yes, I see that hand and that hand, yes. Anybody else? That hand back in the back. Dear God, you've seen these hands of folk that have raised their hands. Lord, you, you know the burden, the need. Lord, I pray that you would show yourself strong in their behalf. Today, Father, I pray for these dear mothers. I pray for these mothers, great responsibility, great challenge to live for you in the midst of these interesting days. Father, I pray that you would cause them to surrender their life to you and cry out to you and ask for your help to make the right decisions. Father, there may be those that know not the Lord Jesus today. I pray they'd come and get saved. The greatest decision they could ever make is to receive Christ. Lord, I thank you for being here today. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you to stand. Maybe today you say, Pastor, you know what? I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. If I were to die right now, I'm not confident I'd go to heaven. Won't you come? I'll be here in front. I'd love to direct you to one of our counselors that could help you. Maybe you're a mom today and you're burdened over your children, your grandchildren. Hey, why not come to the altar today and just talk to God about it? God can help you. He can do things that you can't. Maybe you've never been baptized since you've been saved. Why not obey the Lord? God's calling for you right now. Brother Scott's going to come sing a song of invitation. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If God's speaking to your heart, won't you come?